Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by George Hornstein. George is the head basketball coach for KCD. That's Kentucky Country Day, private school in Louisville, Kentucky. We get to talk about George's background in the world of basketball and coaching and chat a little bit about his experience at KCD and previewing the upcoming season. Just so you know, we do plan on doing another episode Prior to the season starting on October 15th, I think we're going to record it on October 12th, where we will dive into a little bit more of the details about the, you know, the roster and the upcoming season, things like that. Really appreciate George joining me today. If you're a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, the best way to support me is to send me some health insurance referrals. I'm a broker licensed in 12 states across the country. Of course, I'm based here in Louisville, Kentucky, but send me some health insurance referrals. The details for the sponsors of The Kelly Patrick Show are as follows. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by George Hornstein. George, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Appreciate you coming on. George is the head basketball coach for Kentucky Country Day, of course, here in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, George, I appreciate you coming on. Being this is the first time I've had the opportunity to chat with you. Could you introduce yourself to the Kelly Patrick Show audience? I assume you grew up playing basketball. Where are you from? Where'd you play basketball? What brought you to pursuing a career as a high school basketball coach? Absolutely. So I uh, grew up actually in Indiana. So uh, basketball is obviously um, ingrained in, in kids from Indiana. Um, so I, I went to Brownsburg High School, which is in a west side suburb of Indianapolis. Okay. I was a uh, four-sport athlete there. So Four, I played, wow. Yeah, I played basketball, soccer, track, and then I did some golf kind of on the side as well. Um, uh, two years played varsity basketball. Um, it's a big school. There's like 3,000 students, and I was a four-year letter winner, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, with soccer. Um, so spent my entire childhood playing sports, and it was always my passion. And basketball ultimately was my number one passion. However, I was – uh, a little bit more naturally talented at soccer. So I actually went on to play college soccer at uh, Hanover College. Okay. Um, mainly because that's what I got recruited with. And, uh, again, that with my height, I'm only six foot one. So as a basketball player, I wasn't very tall. As a soccer player, I was uh, extremely tall. Sure. Yeah. Um, so played soccer at Hanover College, transferred to IEPY, walked on a little there and got injured. And basically my senior year kind of sat out. Um but I met my wife actually at Hanover College, and that was what uh, brought me to Louisville. So she's from Louisville. She went to Mercy High School. Um, so 
we were uh, we met each other on the very first day of school at Hanover. Um, clicked, um, started dating, and dated for seven years, and then you know, kind of one of those things where she dragged me to Louisville. Um, and as it turns out, I, I love the city and I love the love the people here and love having her family here. And um, ended up getting a job through JCPS um, as a high school science teacher and, and a basketball coach. And um, you know, the rest is history. Very cool. Um, Louisville, of course, is not opposed to basketball. It's, basketball is a pretty big deal here. I think it's when it comes to college basketball. I think. Louisville is one of the very top markets, I think, in the country. Yeah, it is. What's interesting is, being from Indiana, um, everything revolves around IU and Purdue. So when I moved here, it was kind of a culture shock to see how see how important Kentucky and Louisville were. Because in my mind, they were not on not not part of my reality as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up a huge Bobby Knight fan. Oh, okay, was, I mean that's essentially. He was, you know, he was the uh, leader of the state for a while there in terms of, like, everyone looked to Bobby Knight. Three national titles. Correct. As, now, I was pretty young. Um, How old the, are you? I'm, I'll be 40 in November. Okay. Yeah. I'm 39. Yeah. So yeah. right there. So I, I, was, I didn't really get to see the national championship runs, but I was, I was around mm-hmm. with, like, Calvert Chaney and uh, Damon Bailey and some of those guys, but – most recently, Jared Jeffries, Tom Coverdale. Yeah, that was kind of... That was the run. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was in college when that happened. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, my memory, of course, growing up here, uh, was that everybody always knew IU had such a great tradition, and then Bobby Knight was known as the hothead, got him out of there, and then, of course, Mike Mike Davis mm-hmm. for uh, a short kind of time. moved in there yep. and, and made a nice little run, I think, to the... Was it to the championship game? Yeah, they made it to the finals. Yeah, I think they knocked out Duke in the semifinals and then okay. lost to Maryland in the finals. Yeah. Okay, Maryland. Yeah. Like Chris Wilcox, guys like... I remember those teams a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Maryland had, had some talent. Yeah, and I might be completely wrong on that, but I no, think No, that that's sounds right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, um, uh, Williams was the coach. Gary, yep. Will- yeah. Gary Williams, I think, was yeah. the coach of Maryland, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, Okay, so you're always an IU fan. I assume you grew up with, like, your family being big Hoosiers. Yeah, so my mom's from the north, so my, it was a house divided. My mom was a Purdue fan. My dad mm. my dad actually, interestingly, my dad wasn't all that interested in sports other than what the sports his, his kids played. But, um, yeah, I grew up an IU fan. It's interesting the way high school basketball is where everyone in Indiana ran the motion offense like Bobby, like okay. Bobby Knight. And I moved here, and for a while there, everyone was running – a full court press, just like Rick Patino and fast break, and then um, Chris Mack comes along, and everyone starts running a pack line defense. So it's mm. it's interesting how the local college trickles down into the high school levels. Interesting, yeah. Uh, basketball, I would think, is a it's easy to follow basketball, but then when you get into the actual coaching side of it, you probably recognize different patterns like that more. So, of course, I remember in like '96. With Rick Pitino and the the press and stuff like that, mm-hmm. the, you know Walter McCarty guarding the inbounds guy and stuff like that. Sure, um, and that trickling down. But I don't even remember specifics of Chris Mack's style. Unless you have a really really high level of success, it doesn't quite uh, transcend as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know he he really sold a pack line defense. That was okay. kind of his his thing. Um, you know, I didn't pay much attention to could it. You sum- could you summarize what that is? <laughs> um, it's got a name. <laughs> you know, I, I've heard a variety of different ways in which it's run. I think people mistake it as a defense where everyone's packed closely together. Okay. But actually, uh, a lot of it's predicated on a lot of ball pressure. Okay. So you're, you're guarding the ball with a lot of pressure, but then everyone else is, is in help position uh, to help the – Help the guy in case he gets beat. We so like man to man defense. Yes, it's definitely it's a man to man. A lot of ball pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then if you get kind of uh, juked and someone gets past you, right. someone's ready to help. Yes, there's always somebody in a position to help. Okay, um, I, I studied it a little bit when Chris Mack came around. He come to clinics and teach it, and um, found it wasn't necessary necessarily the style I wanted to coach. So I haven't dove real deep into it. Interesting, um, but I'm familiar with it. Okay. Um, proximity wise, growing up, I'm 39 years old, so I'm same age range as you, uh, here in Louisville, the closest NBA team for me was always the Pacers. Sure. So growing up, always a Pacers fan at least. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. Like, so Reggie Miller. Yeah. 
Yeah, Reggie Miller would be my all-time favorite player, probably. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I can't Grew argue during. with that. Yeah, I remember those teams, you know. Yeah, Miller they, time, and, and they just did that documentary, the 30 for 30. Uh, did they do one on Reggie? On Reggie, yes. Was great. it specifically like him talking trash to the Knicks, or oh, yeah, is the, that like the Spike Lee stuff? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. I haven't yeah. seen it, but I would guess that's what it is. Oh, yeah, it brought back a lot of memories, because they used to play in this little dark, dingy arena called Market, Mar- Market yep. Square. Market Square Boy, arena. was that a great place to watch a game and a huge home field ev- or home court advantage. Um, yeah, I went to several – actually went to several uh, playoff games there during that era. Was, did you? I didn't yeah. make it to any playoff games, but I did see a lot of, you know, I don't know, six or seven probably total games there. I, I got to see Michael Jordan play there once, actually. So some good memories. And then Kiseko, of course, was a – or what's it called, Banker's Life? Yeah, it's, the name's changed so many times. Yeah. I'm, I don't even think it's called Banker's Life anymore. Is that right? Yeah. I, I went to it several years ago, but I haven't been, I haven't been up to Indianapolis. My, my, my family still lives up there, but haven't made it to a game in quite a while. Okay. Um, so how long have you been in Louisville? So I've been in Louisville um, going on probably 15, 16 years. Okay, yeah. okay. And yeah. you immediately, when you moved here, you got a job with JCPS mm-hmm. uh, without – you know, going into the details of what specific school, have you bounced around schools? So I did one year at Iroquois. Oh, okay. Um, and I was a freshman basketball coach there. And then transferred to Butler, which I've I've been at now for 14 years. I was an assistant coach there for 10 years. Uh, we made a Sweet 16 run in 08-09, which was my first year at Butler. Um, that was uh, I was assistant under uh, Sean Purley. Uh, we had kind of a Cinderella season that year. Um, had, had a lot of good teams over the years. Um, worked with a with a coach called uh, names Casey Gooden, um, and he helped me um, to get a head coaching job. So uh, about f- I guess it was four years ago, I uh, took the head coaching job at Louisville Collegiate. Okay. Spent four years there. Had quite a bit of success. We we went to the LIT three times in four years, and it's it's an all A school, very small school, um, similar to KCD. And uh, had quite a bit of success there and had an opportunity to come up with KCD and um, for a variety of reasons. A lot of them had to do with my family and how close KCD is to my house and the schedule I could set. Um, just took the KCD job actually this year. So this will be my first season um, coaching the team. We, I, we had a small season in June, and then this will be the first season that we actually uh, – regular season that I'll be the coach. Very cool. Um, so what type of challenges – uh, or differences come about with a uh, a school like KCD versus where the primary uh, the bulk of your high school coaching experience has been. <laughs> That's an interesting I, I question. I assume it's pretty different. Yeah, it is. It is um, switching from Butler, having been there for ten years, a big school. Um, you know, fourteen hundred at their at our max, we're up to sixteen hundred students. Switching to a school that has you know around three, three to 400 students. Completely um, different animal. It is. It is. It's, um, I remember my first year as an all-A coach. It was kind of like a culture shock to me um, to see um, just how things are run and how you have to manage the idea that there's just not a huge amount of uh, – there's just not huge numbers. Um, so you're looking at keeping players, you know, not making cuts just to field two, maybe three teams, um, you know, um, having practices that may not be as competitive because you don't have as much talent in the building. Um, you know, so there's, there's some dynamics there. Um, and then just kind of changing the mindset of these, of these smaller schools that they can beat big schools. Mm. Um, so when I took over at Collegiate, they hadn't beaten a, they hadn't beat a non all a school. Um, and, and I don't know how long it had been, but the previous season they hadn't they had a good, I, I inherited a great team there and, um, we went we went on to beat several big schools, and that was kind of always our big thing. And and it's the same kind of situation at KCD. We have a very very talented group coming in this year. Um, and last year, I uh, don't I don't think they beat any schools that were not all A. Um, and looking forward to this year, um, I've bo- I've beefed up our schedule, and we're going to play a lot of non all A schools, um, mainly because. You know, I believe we can compete with those sides of schools. And if I'm going to coach, you know, I want to I want to play against good teams, and sure. I want to compete against good teams. So we have completely kind of revamped the schedule. Um, I joked with the, with some of the parents because I'm almost 40. 
Uh, I've got about 50 wins on my under my belt in four years. I'm not going to make it to 800 wins. So putting a schedule out there that guarantees us to win 20, 25 games is just not what I'm interested in. I want to challenge our players. Mm. I want them to feel like they're a part of a real competitive program. And the reality is, is the team that we've got coming back this year is, is good enough to compete with those teams. Okay. What are some examples of schools you'll be playing? Uh, so we have – the Oldham County schools on our schedule. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, we got Western on our schedule. Uh, okay. We, we have to play Cal, Ballard, and Eastern because they're in our district. Okay. Um, Wagner, Iroquois. I mean, we've we've we're going to uh, Gatlinburg for a Christmas tournament. We're playing a Christmas tournament in Henry County. Okay. Um, that has some big schools in it. So I just like to have the mindset, and I don't know. Maybe this is my Indiana kind of background, and and you know I. Hoosiers being one of my favorite movies, sure. you know, and having that idea of like a little school that takes on the big schools and doesn't back down. And, you know, that's kind of the, since taking the job at KCD, we've just kind of been trying to make sure to empower our players to get them to know like this team could be good enough. If everything goes as planned and is, if we can keep our culture right and have some good leadership, you know, we, we could be good enough to beat some big schools. I would think especially um, in – the sport of basketball that's attainable. I know I spoke with, with Coach Jones and for the football. Correct me if I'm wrong. You tell me. Uh, in basketball, there's five guys on the floor, of sure. course, you know, at a time. You can get some momentum going. You can have, like, spread offense, you know, get some open shots, real good ball movement. So even if you're technically maybe not as athletic, things like that, if you're a well-coached team, pass the ball, play smart defense – can actually compete with maybe even a bigger team, more athletic team. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the it's it's probably easier in basketball than football. I would think because you only need a handful of kids. You know, you don't need you don't need that many talented players. Sure. Um, again, this team is different. It's it's a talented team, but you only need two or three. You know, I think one of the biggest differences that I've had to adjust to is uh, practices at Butler were so competitive because you always had. 10, 15, 20 kids on the floor that um, had talent, that were, that were good basketball players. And when you get to a smaller school, it just, it's just a matter of numbers. And being able to have practices where it's a, where it's a competitive five-on-five five can be challenging. Um, you know, and I think looking forward to this year, I can see our practices being extremely competitive um, and having enough talent on our team to where we can play five-on-five five and have subs and, and really um, – you know, really progress and, and learn, and and we don't have to, you know, kind of adjust the schedule based on uh, competitive practices. If you could model yourself as a basketball coach after one coach, maybe that I and a lot of people listening would know, who would it be, and could you please say Bobby Knight? <laughs> so, first and foremost, it's definitely not Bobby Knight. Come on, that no. would make for a much more exciting episode, <laughs> No. Well, you know, my experience in high school as a basketball player was I initially my freshman year played under a coach that was a, a Bob Knight type of type of style. And boy, that was it was tough. It was tough. I mean, it made you very resilient, very quick. Um, so if I was going to choose a coach, I mean, I've always really um, admired Brad Stevens, especially wow, yeah. the run he made at Butler um, and just the way that. You could tell that from one opponent to the next, they made adjustments and kind of, you know, um, planned based on their opponent. Um, I think that's what I've learned over the years. Um, you know, I don't know that I've got, as a coach, that I have a one specific style. I think one of the compliments that my coaching staff got in the past was from one game to the next, they really don't know what to expect. Um, so we can we could play man-to-man one game and zone the next, and, and sometimes we do things that are um, – I don't know, in my opinion, uh, people don't expect. I mean, they're, they're kind of out-of-the-box thinking. Um, I think some of that comes from being a soccer player, too. I mean, our practices are um, considerably different than a traditional practice. Mm. Um, you know, it's a lot of shorts, um, small-sided games, four-on-four, three-on-three. Because um, in my opinion, I like to see guys making decisions, making basketball decisions, and giving them as many opportunities to make basketball decisions. How is that more similar to – I never played soccer. How's that – is that more similar to soccer? Is that what you meant? Yeah. If so how? Yeah. In my, in my experience, it's, it's very similar. So if a typical soccer practice for the coach that I, coaches that I played for, 
you would have small-sided games. You'd play five-on-five, four-on-four. You'd have rules like you can only touch the ball so many times before you had to pass it. You you had to pass it with one touch. And so in our practices, we'll put limits on the players. Like you're not allowed to dribble the ball or you're only allowed one dribble. And we give them – it's very physically and mentally taxing uh, in practices. And there's not a lot of standing around. There's not a lot of waiting in lines. Um, We don't just roll the ball out there and say play. Um, if uh, and a bystander that come in, comes in may think that, um, but I, we have a very specific goal with every drill. We have a very specific uh, practice plan, and a, and a you know it comes from me being a teacher. You know we have objectives that we want to meet, and these are the drills or small sided games that we want to do to meet those objectives. So maybe the idea that for basketball you just want to get your team in real good shape, you want to have them practice shooting. And then just play, that would be an inaccurate description as to your, your style. Yeah, just play would be inaccurate. Yes. Okay, but it, I mean, the, yes. the conditioning's obviously a big deal for you. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, we like to condition with the ball in our hands. Okay. So, so we're actually coming up on conditioning starting next week. We gave them a little time off, and um, we're not just going to put them on the line and run and run and run. Um, partly because it's not a lot of fun. And <laughs> we want the guys to enjoy being there. That's fair, especially if, if you aren't really making cuts. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Right. What are you going to do? Right. If you have a few guys quit, you could be in trouble. Right. Well, that and, um, you know, it's again, we're trying to, um, you know, currently I think we're going to have approximately 25 players come out for the for the entire program. So what does that consist of? Varsity? It'll be a varsity and JV only. Okay. Um, so freshmen are good enough to make the team. They got to they got to try out for JV. Yes. Gotcha. Um, in my in my previous at the collegiate we we eventually got we started about the same numbers and we eventually got up to about 35 40 kids coming out. And that would be, you know, something that we're striving towards at KCD as well. Um, so it's a, it's an environment that's supportive. Um, it's not a Bobby Knight environment. Um, we have high standards and high expectations, but ultimately it's, you know, they come to, when they come to practice, we want them to leave feeling like they've learned something and probably more, even more importantly than that, that they've been a part of something bigger than themselves and they're, they're in a practice that, you know, they're working together as a team to solve problems. What's the, <laughs> um, you say not a Bobby Knight. Are you, I assume you're a Bobby Knight fan. So, yeah, yeah, probably to a fault. Yeah, I mean, I, Watched Bobby Knight, you know, defended Bobby Knight when he did crazy things that looking back as an adult, you think, well, that was what he did was wrong, you know. But as a, you know, you just, that fandom kicks in and you're just like, there was a means to the end kind of thing. What's the craziest story of Bobby Knight that you've heard? Oh, the one, <laughs> the one where he pooped in a box and put it at half court. Said yeah, that they were like playing like that or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. pretty good. You I've can look that, that up on the internet because it's a pretty good, uh, yeah, there's a soundbite from that, apparently. Um, and, you know, in, in the book, A uh, Season on the Brink. But that book also has a lot of, of good stories in there. Um, I'll be honest, the other Bobby Knight story that I love, um, they went, someone took their team out to dinner, and um, shortly thereafter, uh, Bobby Knight reamed a kid and kicked him off the team. And he came to find out that a month later, the kid had sent a handwritten note to the family that fed them dinner saying, thank you. And, you know, it was one of those things, like, even through him kicking the kid off the team and all that, like, there was still a lesson that was learned about mm. gratitude and about, huh. about how, you know, that's what coaching is. And, um, of course, I'm not a writer like uh, who is a Feinstein that writes, writes those, but it was just a very uh, eloquently written, just brief story about, like, what Bobby Knight, while he was crazy and mean-spirited and, and, and chewed the kids out, there was a side of him that did teach those young men, you know, a lot more about life. And that's why he's got such a, you know, a staunch, you know, following when it comes to his former players. I mean, they back him, you know, they'll back him to the end. Okay. So Brad Stevens, of course, is someone to model yourself after. He's not the, he's not the head coach at the Celtics anymore. What is he? The, the he's in management. Yeah. I think he's general manager. Yeah. So yeah. he, he kind of, but, can't say that he – it's not common that someone excels in college like that, jumps to the NBA, and then has such a successful tenure there. I know he's not still coaching, but he's done very well with the Celtics. Yeah, there was a time when he first got hired where they said he was doing too good of a job because he was doing so well with no talent that they kept finding themselves in the middle of the um, draft. Oh, okay. Um, so he was – they were – over. they were, you know – 
overachieving, which was leading them to be middle of the road team that could never, you know, get anybody in the draft and, and so on. But if, you know, based off the first year, he's obviously doing a, a heck of a job as a GM. Okay. Yeah. It, it's funny. NBA coaching is real um, fascinating to follow. How many examples are there? At least a couple where coaches win NBA coach of the year one year, and then they like get fired the next year. Like coaching's a difficult deal. Are you a fan of the NBA? So I am. I, you know, and I've actually grown to enjoy it more. In fact, if you ask me currently, I almost enjoy watching the NBA more. Mm. Um, that being said, uh, once the basketball season starts for us in October 15th, and it doesn't end until February, um, I follow it at a distance. Sure, so you, you got your hands full. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm all in on what my team's doing and scouting games. And so it's, you know, that March comes around and they do the um, – NCAA pool, and you know everyone looks like, oh, who do you think's going to win this or that? I'm like, Man, I'm not paying that close of attention. If, you know, if I do well in an NCAA pool, it's pure luck because I'm just, I'm too, I'm too busy with what's going on in my own in my own little basketball world. Did you ever consider coaching anything, any other sport like soccer? Um, so it's interesting. I always felt like a basketball coach had much more of a. Um, much more control over how the game is run or much, much, much more able to manipulate the result. And so that's why I always kind of wanted to be a coach of basketball, other than the fact that basketball was my passion. But I always felt like a soccer coach coaches in practice and then is more of a spectator in the game. And I I'm, sure, I'm sure co- soccer coaches would disagree with me. I don't, I'm, I'm speaking with no soccer coaching experience. But what's interesting is now that I'm a, a basketball coach in a perfect world, it'd be great to, to do so well teaching the players in practice how to play that you could sit back and relax and watch them, you know, prove to you what you've taught them in practice in a game. And there's these brief moments in my career where that's happened. And, you know, it's, you can just see it, that the kids are meshing and, you know, there's not a lot of communication between me and them. And, and that's when you're like, okay, we've done something right here. Um, you know, and you'll turn around the next day game and it, you could just completely lay an egg. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, teenagers are consistently inconsistent, I guess. In your experience as a head coach, which is how many years? This will be my fifth year. Okay. Has there been one game or maybe even one play that's been most rewarding? Maybe where you drew up a, an inbounds play from, you know, uh, maybe behind, you know, on the baseline and they executed it perfectly. You guys had practiced it all week. You know, something just kind of clicked. Maybe you guys beat a better team and you feel it's because you executed a certain specific game plan, something along those lines. I'd imagine there's many examples of times you felt rewarded, but is there one in particular that stands out? Put you on the spot. Well, no, there's three. I'm trying to maybe okay, I'll give right. you a bit you can, of all three. Yeah, you can mention them all. Um, drew up a play. Um, how do I tell this story? Drew up a play at the end of the season two seasons ago to hit a buzzer beater to beat a particular opponent. Um, Don't want to mention who the opponent was. No. People that are listening that know me will know who that was. Um, it, yeah. Um, well, I'll go ahead and say it. So it was, we beat KCD oh, <laughs> on a buzzer okay, beater. That okay. was probably one of those plays. And now I'm sure my KCD friends are probably laughing at that. Varsity um, game. You guys yeah. beat KCD. Buzzer <laughs> yes. beater. Yeah, that was Where a good Where was one. the shot from? Uh, corner three. It actually – You guys losing by two? I think we were tied. Okay. We were tied. Didn't have to shoot a three. It was just the open shot. Yeah. Was, That's how you drew it It up. was ran to perfection. And, um, boy, some of my players are going to hate that I'm telling this story because some of them were a part of that game um, on both sides. Um, you know, we had another one. We were down 11 with 45 seconds left. Um, with This was, again, when I was at Collegiate um, to Fairdale. And we came all the way back and hit a buzzer beater. And Wow. What was funny about that story was our real heady point guard. We told him we were down three. In regulation, told him the play to run. He totally forgot what we were doing and went and tried to shoot a layup and luckily missed. And we got a rebound, kicked it around, and ended up in the guy's hands that we wanted to take the three. And he hit the three to go into overtime, and we ended up winning. Um, so you guys were down by three. Correct. And the, and the, the point, point guard, guard shoots a layup. Wide open, they, they it wasn't were, even wide open. He just drove it in there and took a contested layup. Just mental, like a brain fart. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what he was thinking. I mean, we've joked about it since then. I've got a great relationship with him. And um, I, I always talk to him about it because it, his the kid's name's Cole Thompson. He's a great kid and he's not even really a kid anymore. He's a young man, and um, it was one of those like, thank God you didn't make that layup because then what would we have done, you know? Um, but that was that was one of our more memorable 
more memorable games. And, um, you know, there's just little things along the way. We took a, we took a team to Williamsburg last year with five kids because everyone had COVID and we beat a team and uh, just no subs and, and just watching watching players just gritted out. I mean, I think I was almost in tears, which is I'm not – I don't cry much, but I was just so excited to see a group of guys just come together for one game. And, um, you know, all that being said, I, like I said, I can't – I've only got four years in. I've got plenty of opportunities uh, with the program I'm taking over to to build those those same those same memories. And um, well, in fact, already we we made a buzzer beater this summer at KCD. Um, ran a play, um, you know, young man named Cam Edwards um, gets the ball, plays completely busted. It didn't work out, and he just took it upon himself to get to the basket and made a buzzer beater. So they're they're already. I mean, we've played nine games together as a program, and um, you know, just to see his his confidence and knowing that, okay, the next pass in the play is not there. I'm just going to go make a play. Um, was was just a really, really exciting opportunity for our team to beat to, to beat actually a big school in that setting. So we're already kind of planting the seed at KCD that we're going to be pretty good and that you know we can beat we can beat big schools. I assume um, when you were an assistant coach, that was enjoyable for you, right? You you enjoyed oh, yeah. that, yeah. How big of a difference is it to be the head coach versus the assistant? I assume you prefer to be the head coach. I absolutely pre- prefer to be the head coach. Okay, um, it is an it, it's a huge difference. There are a lot of people out there that, like myself, four, five years ago, believed that they could be a head coach, um, and there is just so much that goes on behind the scenes that um, that no one has any idea um, in terms of fundraising ordering gear, all that logistical stuff um, takes a lot, a lot of work. Um, and, you know, just to get – trying to get all that behind us right now so we can focus on basketball when the season starts. But there's a lot of – you know, I, I, I always say, you know, I hear some coaches kind of critique other coaches. And in my mind, it's just such a challenging job to be a head coach. And regardless of how things are run or done, every coach is trying their – trying as hard as they can literally to keep their heads above water. Um, And I think that goes – I think most coaches would agree with that. I mean, it's just a very taxing – it's taxing on the coach. It's taxing on the coach's family. Um, But if you're not passionate about it, you don't last. Um, And if you don't have a family that supports it, you don't last. I've got two daughters and a wife. I was going to ask. So you've got a wife. How old are your kids? So I've got a seventh-grade daughter, Harper, and a first-grade daughter, Edie. And – they uh, adore everything I do, but they also keep me very humble. <laughs> I mean, they were giving me hell last night about I don't even know what. I mean, they're just uh, they're really bright and witty, and uh, they don't let me get away with anything. Neither does my wife. <laughs> She's bright and witty as well. But she supports what you do with the basketball coach. Yes, that's all she really knows. I mean, we, we were athletes. She ran cross country. I played soccer. So we, you know, met each other in athletics. Um, you know, I've always been involved in sports. Um, she's been um, just so so incredibly supportive um, because you know she jokes that that she's a single mom during basketball season, and I feel bad when she says that. But the reality is, there's a lot of times where she is getting the kids up, making their dinners, putting them to bed, and not seeing me at all. Um, and it's you know, we she Harper. She was pregnant with Harper my second year of coaching. So, you know, we've, we've just – my girls grew up in a gym. They understand how it works. They're super supportive. Um, and even in, in moments where I was like, man, this is really hard. What, you know, you know, is this worth it to be away from the family? You know, I'll ask the girls, like, is this worth it to you all? And they're like, yes, Daddy, we want you to keep coaching. We want you to keep coaching. So, um, yeah, they, they love being a part of the family too. I mean, we've already taken them to some football games at KCD, and they'll be at all the basketball games. And they just love – you know, they. I'm a rock star to them, I guess. Okay. Um, this may not be the best comparison because um, being an NBA coach and being a high school coach, small high school coach, two entirely different animals. However, uh, I read where Kyrie Irving got mad at Steve Nash. He's yelling at him that the two MVPs he won belonged to Kobe Bryant. <laughs> So he's like talking trash to his head coach. Have you ever experienced a player being defiant to you? 
No. To the, I mean, no, I know that would be a, a big degree right there. That's very, like, personal sure. insult. So, sure. I mean, that's a different deal. Yeah, I mean, it's a different relationship at the high school level. Sure. Um, no, I haven't. And, I, you know, even with the coaches I used to work with, um, it would be rare. Now, if you know, once you build a relationship with the guys and, and once, you know, some of the guys that you've been coaching for years um, – I'm definitely open to hearing, you know, some suggestions for them or from them. Um, and so you get to that relationship where, you know, you'll, you almost go to them and say, okay, I think we're going to go man to man to start the game. Like, well, coach, I don't know. Should we go zone? And like, there's some, there's some open dialogue um, once both coach and player are, you know, trust each other. So once you build that trust, but in terms of, you know, defiant, um, you know, <laughs> the reality is, is that it's, it's still, you know, they're not getting paid to play. Um, and I guess if you thought about it, they, you know, we don't have to keep them on the team, but I've never had to deal with that kind of stuff. I mean, we build a, we build a culture at our school. I mean, we're, we talk about gratitude and resilience and being intentional and being trustworthy. And, and we, we make culture our number one priority over everything else, over X's and O's, everything. So we like to think that as long as we're continuing to keep that as, as our, you know, our main focus, um, you know, I think the kids buy in. I mean, uh, I think Coach Oriema from UConn once said, you know, it's it's not the kids that are selfish. It's oftentimes the the parents or the you know, mm. they you, no kid grew up in second third grade and said I'm gonna I want to be the I want to have the ball all the time and I don't want to be a good teammate. It's not okay, until some of those okay. outside influences come in to where you just get some chinks in the armor. And so we just we know we we we're very proactive in preventing that kind of stuff from happening. Um, just in the way that we we really sell team over me, um, you know, we're very. My, I've got a great staff, and we're very personable with them. We share our own experiences, um, so it's one of those situations where I, I don't know, someday down the line maybe that'll occur. But I think I think it's all this all comes down to building those relationships early to where, um, you know, I. You don't expect you don't expect kids to be defiant. I assume some of your players will listen to this interview, this episode. You as a basketball player, is there one game where you had your best game ever? I don't care if it's a intramural, intramural league or anything. Did you have one game where you scored the most points, or you hit a game-winning shot, or you know, is there one game that stands out? If so, this is your time to shine. What was your <laughs> best performance as a basketball player? So I was. You hear a lot of coaches talk about like. You know, you have your coaches that went on to play in college, and then you have your other coaches. And I think Coach Jones kind of mentioned this, the football coach, kind of the same thing. Like, you have those guys that were just the coaches, like, I'll do whatever it takes to be on the floor. So, for me, personally, I was always – I wasn't the best scorer on the team. I wasn't the best ball handler, but I was going to defend the best player every game. Really? And that was how I knew that's how I'm going to get on the floor. That's what Coach wants for me. That's what I'm going to do. Um, so, I didn't have a lot of high-scoring games. Um you know, in Brownsburg, it's a, it's a hometown kind of feel. We we were playing a game against an uh, Indiana recruit, so it was a pretty big crowd. And I think I'm sure I, I think I defended him pretty well because I had to guard him. But the the kind of the the lasting memory of my high school career was I got fouled, we're tied, I go to the free throw line at the end of the game, like the whole game's resting on me. And um, I, our coach always stressed like shoot it straight. When you shoot free throws, don't miss left or right. And I mean, I was terrified standing at the free throw line in front of a big crowd. And sure enough, I got up there, shot it straight, hit the backboard, bounced, banked it right in, won okay. the game. I mean, that was probably, you know, the yeah. highlight of my career, I guess. Um, you so know, you hit one of two to win it? <laughs> well, I think – I don't remember the second one. The first one was okay, the only one that mattered. It, you, okay, yeah. so you got two free throws, you yeah. hit the one, and it, but it banked in. So yeah, I banked some, it in. Is that yeah. something you still tell your players? Is I've told a few of them that story because, it you know, it just goes to like – that constant mantra of shooting it straight, shooting it straight, don't miss left or right, and then I get up there, and that was literally what I was thinking other than being, you know, nervous as hell. And mm -hmm. uh, sure enough, it went in. And like I said, we, we were an okay team. Um, we were one of the smaller schools in the biggest class in Indiana. So uh, we were mediocre at best. Um, you know, we had to play all the other schools. Some of them were twice our size. I think we had like almost 3,000 students in our school. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that was – Essentially, my I guess you call my my the one story you sit around and tell your kids someday. I guess sure. Uh, from a coaching perspective, I'd say that's a sounds like a good one. Yeah, I've I guess. always thought if you're Michael Jordan or someone, <laughs> and they're like, "What's the best?" Well, I scored sixty three points, and then I dunked on someone, and a, a kid on the team is going to be like, "Okay, I can't do that." Sure. <laughs> so that's not necessarily. 
Like right. the the thing that's most relatable because Michael and he may be a good coach if he tried. I don't even know, but like just do this, jump from the free throw line and dunk. That doesn't help people from yeah. a coaching perspective. More so, something like that seems to be more relevant. Yeah, I mean, essentially having been a role player. I mean, I was I was a role player, and knowing how important it is to have five guys on the floor. Not all five guys have to score. You just have to have five guys that each play their role to the best of their ability, and that's when you get a, a cohesive group that can overachieve. Um, so that's kind of, you know, being a role player, that's kind of how I, you know, try to coach the team as well. And, you know, I think it's interesting because, no, I did not play college basketball. And some would argue that a college basketball player is a better coach than a high school basketball player. But the reality is, is that whatever coach is willing to continue to learn and be a lifelong learner sure. and adjust and learn how to build relationships with the players. And, and trust me, I, I'm not sitting here saying I'm the best at it. But constantly trying to grow and get better, um, it doesn't matter what experience you have. And I think, you know, that's what sets really good coaches apart are the ones that continue to adapt, um, adapt to the new style of play, adapt to the new players, adapt to kids these days, quote unquote. Um, you know, those are the ones that last. That's an interesting topic. Um, I think Charlie Weiss just played a little bit of high school football. And then for some reason he got into coaching, so he wasn't even a good high school player. Sure. Uh, for football, of course. Um, I don't know. You think like Jeff Van Gundy and Stan Van Gundy, <laughs> you think played college basketball? I don't know, actually. Maybe. I think their dad was a coach or something, but there's got to be some examples of basketball coaches who didn't play college basketball who made it real far. Sure. I mean, you got a lot of them that were, that were um, you know, parents were coaches. The, the interesting one for me is um, Eric Spolstra for the for Miami he Heat. He worked the video thing. Correct. There's a Man. lot of there's a lot of guys that are coming up through the ranks that were former video guys. Wow. And I, that's a nice You know, one. well, because in reality, they've literally sat there and studied film sure. day in and day out. That was their job was to study film, study film, study film. So next thing you know, they've got a wealth of basketball knowledge to, uh, you know, to use then as a coach. Sure. So I'm not, you know – when you go out to these games and you scout games and you see when I was an assistant coach and I'd see other assistant coaches at all these games, we're always, you know, Hey, how you doing? Kind of talk to each other. And it's no, it's no surprise that those are the same coaches that are now head coaches. Mm. Um, because you know, they're not only they're scouting for their opponents, but they're also, you know, learning and learning and learning. Cause it, the best, the best way, the best way in my opinion to learn how to coach or X's and O's at high school game is not to watch the NBA or college just because they're such at another level, but just to see what other coaches are doing that's successful and, and try to decide what, what would work best for the team I've got this year and, you know, adapting in that way. So modeling yourself after an NBA coach isn't maybe <laughs> the best thing in the world. However, I'll ask, who's the best basketball coach ever? <laughs> I always say Bobby Knight. Okay. Bobby okay. Knight, but that's not true. Homer answer. Yeah. Yeah. That's not true. Um, you know, I like a lot of what John Wooden did. I like a lot wow. of what John Wooden stood for. Um, you know, he's got – he's just such such a, a, a top, you know, just a classy personality. Um, so I've read a lot of books about John Wooden, and, man, is he just a wealth of quotes and knowledge. Um, so if I was going to give you an honest answer, probably John Wooden. Okay. Yeah. Not a bad answer. He, he coached, uh, you know – I forget how many titles he won, but I, I mean, there was, was like, a span there with Lou Alcindor and Bill Walton, and yeah. he had a, a lot of, a lot of uh, success for UCLA. It doesn't hurt to have the best players in the nation on your team. Yeah, and yeah. that's something to like Phil Jackson. Sure, he had great, but doesn't hurt that he had Kobe and Shaq and Jordan. Yeah, well, you know, if you watch that, you watch that um, the documentary uh, on Jordan, and you just see how well he adapted to. Uh, Rodman and, and how he managed all those all those egos and Phil Jackson did yeah 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 so you you see a, a coach you say well anyone could win with Michael Jordan and Scottie okay. Pippen but yeah. the reality was he did do a great job of managing the personalities that they had within that team and if we were to sit here we could come up with many examples like what was the year that the Lakers got um, Rudy Tomjanovich maybe I don't know I forget who but they had Shaq Carl Malone. Kobe, Gary Payton, I forget who was at the three, but yeah. they had like the best roster and they didn't do very good at all. Sure. So there's many examples of, you know, star-studded rosters where it doesn't work. Sure, and that's, again, that goes back to, you know, 
being at KCD and if you can get a if you can get a group of guys together that all play their role and all share the ball and and don't care who gets all the glory then you can beat teams with more talent. Uh, how tall is the tallest guy on your team? Uh, probably six four, maybe okay. six five. Okay. You know it'll be six five in the in the program, but he's probably actually six four. I'm five nine, and I was on the high school basketball team freshman and sophomore year at Oldham County, and I was listed at six foot. Sure. And I'm five nine. I was never taller than five nine. Yeah. So yeah, I, mean, I was listed at six three. And Were you? Yeah. Okay. You're six one if you're yeah. being honest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, scouting wise, sometimes that does something, right? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So, but I mean, so while we don't have a ton of size, um, one of the one of the things at KCD is we have a you know a football team that provides us with some players as well. So we have some football guys that are going to be uh, athletic along with our basketball guys. So we have a very athletic team. Um, you know, we'll be dunking in warmups and, um, you know, it's just, it's a very athletic, uh, quick, um, you know, hopefully we will get them to be a real gritty team. Um, but we definitely have the parts. How do you feel about, um, Dual sport athletes. You were, as you said, you played four sports in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, in today's day and age, and correct me if you disagree with this, but it seems like the direction of everything is specialization. Mm-hmm. So a lot of coaches would probably try to discourage right. multi-sport athletes. I guess you're in a little bit different of a, a world being that you're at a school that has a, a pretty small pool to choose sure. from to start out with. So if you were real anti dual sport athletes that probably wouldn't be the most popular thing in the world but overall what are your thoughts on dual sport athletes um i think uh, first and foremost i i 100 support it i did it um i think that there's studies that show that it minimizes injuries in some ways um just because you're using different muscle groups with different sports um you know i think you'll find that a lot of the highest level players currently are we're multi-sport athletes. I mean, LeBron James played football and basketball in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of NFL players played multi multi-sports. Um, you know, I think anytime you're you're working with a team and you're learning to play as a team, and whether it be I'm coaching you or Coach Jones or football coach is coaching you or you're on the soccer team or whatever the case is, as long as you're continually getting coached to to be a team player and and to to, to buy into a team idea, and so essentially, you know. For a coach to say I don't want you to play other 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 sports, I, I just I disagree with it honestly. Now, that being said, players that play multi multi sports have to figure out ways to manage that, and and we try to be lenient with them or understand where they're coming from. But there's definitely a higher level of of time management and higher level of communication because if you're playing two sports, you got to constantly communicate with each of your coaches where you're going to be and when. And, and then you have academics. On top of all of that, sure, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I made it work. Um, I think, you know, we've got some – I've coached plenty of multi-sport athletes in the past. At, at Butler, we had multi-sport athletes. At Collegiate, we did. Um, I support it. I think it's I think it's great. I think it prevents injuries. I think it um, – you know, as long as as long as there's – you know, what I, I'd rather have that, honestly – than have kids that that only play basketball and that don't spend time outside of outside of the season working on some sort of sport. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if you had to choose, I like to balance the con- the content from high school sports to the big picture, like the greatest athletes of all time, because mm-hmm. most people can are familiar with the best, sure. you know, the NBA and all that. If you had to choose, who's the greatest dual sport athlete ever? Um. Bo Jackson, of Bo course. Bo Jackson, okay. Of course, too bad he got hurt. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, YouTube it, right? Tell the, tell the youngsters out there that don't know about Bo, Bo Jackson. I mean, he was a he was a freak athlete. And yeah. I guess it's difficult to find someone else who was that good in the NFL and MLB. Sure. Right there, I mean, that even if it was for a relatively short period of time, to reach that level, you know, Dion did it yeah. to a degree, but he wasn't as good in baseball. Sure, but even to be able to play at the highest level in both, you know, Dion, oh, Dion would have to be a second place, right? I mean, I can't think of other probably multi-sport athletes that yeah. come to mind, that, modern multi-sport athletes. That made it to that level. Yeah. There's guys like Tom Brady who was drafted to play sure. in Major League Baseball but didn't, and Danny Ainge, I think, or 
There's, there's a, a lot. Kyler Ru- Murray got drafted as a baseball Correct. player. Correct. Russell yeah. Wilson, I think, did yeah. too, maybe. Yeah. So there's a lot of them. Yeah. But actually to play and then beyond to play, to actually like do well, yeah. it's not common. I would agree. Yeah. yeah so Bo Jackson's uh, difficult to argue with that answer. Sure. Um, well, Coach Hornstein, I appreciate yeah. you coming on. Before we wrap things up for the episode, um, if someone's interested in KCD basketball, how can they follow you? How can they support the program? What type of mentions would you like to get in before the end of the, the show? Yeah, so um, I have my own um, personal Twitter account. It's at Coach Hornstein. Um, we have a KCD basketball account. Uh, I believe it's at KCD basketball. Um, I'm, I'm new to the program, but, yeah, it's at, at KCD basketball, I believe. Um, and, you know, we are, we are completely overhauling our facilities um, over at KCD. Um, so I would encourage anyone to come check out a game um, and see what we've got to offer. Um, it's just uh, it's, it's, a, it's a program that, in my opinion, um, has all the pieces to really grow and rise and, and become really a force uh, in our district and in our region because um, we do have a lot of momentum going. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, that's, that's where you can find us. Um, I, I do want to do a qu- quick plug that, you know, our program is, is built on culture and built on um, supportive, you know, allowing kids to be vulnerable, to learn. Um, and it's a very supportive culture. That's that, but at the same time, we're going to be highly competitive and we want to win games. Um, but I do think it's just the school itself is incredible. And we've had a couple kids. We had a kid that came in from another school, and he's just like, Coach, I can't believe – what this school is like I mean, mm. it's just a very supportive supportive family setting um so yeah it's it's a it's a great place to attend it's a great place to play sports uh it's a great place for kids to go that want to play multi-sports um so i just want to put a plug in there at the end sure great stuff well coach yeah. hornstein i appreciate you coming on thank you very much also want to thank everyone for tuning into the kelly patrick show of course we will have another episode out soon